Hello, welcome into Tigoff Podcast. What up? I'm your host, Arjun McCullough. It is Tuesday, June 19th. I'm recording this around 4 p.m. So uh, you should be listening to it by, I don't know, Wednesday afternoon. But you never know what could happen. Uh, we're just coming up a big U.S. Open week. We've got the Travelers Championship this week. Uh, obviously, a lot of other stuff to get into. So let's just do it. And what a finish by Brooks Kepka. First story, as no surprise, Brooks Kepka is your back-to-back U.S. Open winner. He uh, kind of stole DJ's thunder at uh, one point in the tournament. Clearly looked like it was DJ's event to lose when he was at four under. Uh, Kepka was plus seven at one point in his first round, and he just obviously really turned it around, played absolutely magnificent golf. One thing about Kepka. When you're watching Kepka out on the course, whether he's got a putter in his hand, a driver, a wedge, an iron, it literally looks like a twig. His biceps and just his arms and the size of his body, um, he's just a thick, just a beast. He's a, the size of him. Um, like he, he just this thing where he flips his putter in his hand and it just looks like he's tossing a remote control around. Um, big guy, obviously. But yeah, when he's dialed in, I mean, he had a shot down the stretch. Uh, it was the last part five, so whatever that was, I don't know, 15 or so. But he just stuffed a shot in there. Um, yeah, really impressive stuff. Kepka plus one, Fleetwood plus two, DJ plus three, Reed plus four, Finau plus five. That rounds out the top five. Um, yeah, everyone in there had a really good chance to win on Sunday. Seemed as though the main takeaway from the event uh, was Phil Mixon, though. His speed has been terrible. Whoa. Whoa. Wow. I, I, that, that's stunning. David Fay uh, here in the booth. Uh, here was the next putty hit. So David said two-stroke penalty, and then that one lifts out. And that one does come to rest, and then he knocks it in. I, I, the look on your face, Curtis Strange, when I just looked at you, and I mean, we didn't know that was coming. That was, uh, that was jarring. I, I've never seen anything like that from a world-class player in my life. So anyone that missed it, I'm sure you've seen it by now, and if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen it, that doesn't really quite add up. But So Mickelson, uh, during his Saturday round, he was already out of it, but uh, making a bit of a charge. And then he hits a putt that's going by the hole. It's going to keep rolling and rolling off the green, down a hill, probably 40 yards away. He's going to have to go down there, set up. Hit his pitch, walk back up, hit another putt. Maybe, maybe he makes uh, seven at best. Instead, he uh, stops the ball from rolling down the hill, runs over, hits it back towards the hole, takes another couple strokes, add a two-stroke penalty, and he ended up with a 10. So that obviously knocked him out of any chance of having any, any miracle that he had to win the tournament it was gone right there. But uh, I don't really know if he realized at the time just what he had done in terms of lighting people up. People who are livid about this, they still are. Uh, there's some, some hilarious, from my perspective at least, some hilarious overreactions and quotes from 
uh, especially this Fox, this one Fox anchor. He made a complete mistake. Uh, in Britain, we would call him uh, an ass, a, a silly ass. Um, what worries me more is that he shows little contrition now. There's not much um, chastening. He doesn't look to me this morning as though he realizes quite what has happened and how he's offended so many people. And if my judgment is rather severe, then I'm British and I make no apologies for it. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the USGA, uh, just sort of a, it's just sort of a, there's a lot of weird, every year there's a weird situation with the USGA, but uh, this one, I mean, I personally thought, yes, he, did he break the rules? Was it probably in poor taste? Yes. But was he in contention? Did it really matter? Was he hurting anyone else but Phil Mickelson? No. And let, let's remember what happened here. He was putting for, I believe he was putting for power in the first place. I could be wrong. But let's say he was putting for power from about 10 feet. So his explanation was that he was found a loophole that instead of having to go down and take it and uh, play the ball from down at the bottom of the hill, he would take a two-stroke penalty and he would save himself a stroke. He says he's, he's uh, considered doing this at Augusta in the past. No chance he'll ever do this at Augusta. But anyways, so if that's his explanation, this is the one thing that kind of missed me a little bit. If that's his explanation. Then as it stands, while doing that, he made a 10. He could have maybe made a 9. If he doesn't do that, as I mentioned earlier, he goes down to the bottom of the hill, he hits his fifth shot up onto the green, and then he has a putt, even if he leaves it, even if he leaves it short, it rolls back down to his feet. Then he's hitting a six shot. He's got a putt for seven. Let's say two putts, there's an eight. He's still saved two strokes. So his explanation that he found a loophole in the rules and he was just trying to tap into that, I mean, that is seems like a little bit of bullshit. But overall, I mean, who among us? I know we're not all on the PGA Tour by any means, but who among us hasn't done the old hockey uh, stick handling around a hole when you're either pissed off or you just had enough or you just don't like the way you're putting. There's a million reasons, but uh, to to equate this to the most dis disrespectful thing that anyone's done on our golf course in years, I mean, let's uh, let's get over that. Uh, some some humorous stuff that came out of it. The next day, Phil made a putt for par in that hole, gave it the old uh, British Open celebration, the big hands up in the air. Um, so, I mean, he tried to make the best of it. Uh, his, I believe the way it was put was his lack of contrition about feeling guilty about the thing. Uh, apparently that caused a lot of issues. Phil said he offered to withdraw. Well, actually, his wife Amy said Phil offered to withdraw Saturday night. But, I mean, there's not really offering to withdraw in golf. You either withdraw or you don't. Um, offering is clearly because you don't want to actually do it. Um, but gives us something to talk about, I guess. The rest of the sporting world is talking about golf. And it's funny, there's two sort of, there's two general mindsets on this. Phil's an asshole, and what he did was horrible, or this was funny, it's not a big deal, and everyone's overreacting. I can see both sides, but really, I lean more towards the latter, and also more towards, both things can be true. Phil can be an asshole, he, this could be a complete asshole move, but does it, as I said earlier, does it affect anyone else, really? No, except for Phil, so... Anyways, let me move on from that. Another story that uh, really probably isn't getting enough talk because of the whole Phil thing, because of the way Kepka won back-to-back, -back. even National getting a lot of conversation, but Phil and Shinnecock getting most of the talk. But uh, 
DJ. DJ was four strokes, five strokes. He he had a commanding, commanding lead uh, going into the weekend, partially through the third round, and he just he just couldn't uh, he just couldn't do it. I mean, we've seen at Chambers Bay, we've seen at Oakmont when he did win, we've seen at Pebble a couple of years back, Whistling Straits a couple of years back. I mean, if DJ had the sort of I don't want to say the closing mentality because it's different in golf. Um, seems as though if someone hits a good shot, it's, oh, this guy is nerves of steel. If someone hits a bad shot, it's, oh, this guy can't handle the pressure. It's not like that. Um, we've all been there. Not all been there, but we've all played golf. It's not... You can hit a good shot and be good mentally. You can hit a bad shot and be good mentally or bad mentally. doesn't matter. But uh, DJ, it's almost like he has one speed. And he's going to hit it as far as he can. He's going to go up there. He's going to hit his wedge. He's going to try and spin something in there. He's going to try and make the putt. He doesn't have that that dial-it-back ability where he hits it so far that he doesn't need to hit a driver and then hit a 120-yard sand wedge in there and try and check it up. I mean, sure, that that helps. But once in a while, just, you know, lay back, hit like a – hit a hybrid or something, and hit like an 8-iron in, play for the center of the green, and, and take your par. Uh, obviously, it, it came down to his putting, which let him down, but that was the same thing that, uh, that boosted him up there in the first place. Um, there's obviously something to be said for him being in the last group on Saturday and the absolute disaster that that turned out to be, not only for him, but a lot of people in the final few groups. But there were some people that made it through, and uh, I, I hate the argument that everyone plays the same golf course because... Technically, yes, they are all playing the same golf course, but I mean, from the morning to the afternoon to the late groups, it's completely different, can change on minute-to-minute basis. So no one's really playing the exact same golf course, even guys in within one group, uh, especially you see in the Open Championship. Gus, rain, a break, a bounce, anything, it, it, it can really throw things off. But at some point, You've got to look at DJ and say, what is it about DJ that he's not being able to close these events out? I mean, he's got one major, which he won in spectacular fashion, don't get me wrong. But this guy could easily have five. He could be ahead of Rory. He could be ahead of all these other guys. He could be, we could be talking about him in the way that we kind of talk about Tiger. I mean, no one's ever going to get to that level, but... uh, it's it's sort of disappointing. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. When he was when he was running away with it at some point, I kind of thought, oh, I don't want I don't want to see another major where a guy runs away with it. But at the same time, it, it's tough to see, and it, it doesn't seem like uh, I know it's well documented. It seems like Dustin doesn't care, and obviously he does care because we've heard a lot of stories from behind the scenes just about how much he does care. But I don't know. I don't know if. Uh, if it's the right mindset to just, you know, if you put yourself there enough times, you're gonna get, you're gonna come through with the win enough times, because he has literally let a few slip through his fingers. And uh, a side note to this, which is, it sort of adds up in the confusion that I have of like why it doesn't, de- why I don't know how to put it into words, but so here's the story. Now, I can't say with 100% certainty that this is true because I didn't see it with my own eyes. I just read the article. It was from a reputable writer. But apparently, Paulina, DJ's wife, fiance, whatever the case may be, was standing behind the 18th green near Brooks Kepka's family. 
DJ made that birdie putt on 18, which is about a 15-footer, probably the longest putt he made all day. And Paulina was under the impression that DJ had just made that putt to win. So she's sort of freaking out, sort of celebrating, sort of clueless. Did, did DJ just win? And then Brooks steps up two putts, and quickly she realizes by the reaction of Brooks' dad and Brooks's girlfriend, that no, in fact, it was Brooks that won. Um, just like, how do you not know where your where your guy stands? Especially when he had such a big lead. He had it slip away on the Saturday. You're going to tell me he wasn't complaining about the course when he got home on Saturday night? You're going to tell me you didn't know what was going on? You just sort of came up to the 18th green and, oh, he just made a putt. Did he just win? Ah. I don't want to believe that that's true, but I'm not surprised. Uh, just sort of that, that whole, there's just sort of this aura around DJ that he's different than other golfers. It's not that he doesn't care. It's just, it's it's a different aura, is what I will put it at. On a brighter note, though, Brooks Kepka did go back-to-back. So we've now seen him dominate at Aaron Hills last year. He won with, I think, 17 under. And then here he wins at plus one. So an 18-stroke difference between last year and this year, but absolutely completely different courses. Um, so good for Brooks. Uh, he just he plays a style of game where... It doesn't seem like there's any weaknesses. Uh, obviously, he crushes the ball off the tee. It would probably be his strength, but he really shows a lot of uh, he showed a lot of touch and a lot of character and a lot of um, just mental fortitude. There's been some inter- funny quotes that have come out from the past few years when um, things like, uh, well, for one, he doesn't watch golf in his spare time. He'd rather watch baseball or basketball or football, which is kind of funny. And uh, other stories of. Um, Last year, then they were in the British Open. Uh, a rules official asked him to ask him something, and he responded normally. And the rules official was upset because he didn't call him sir. And Brooks responded with something like, "I don't give a fuck who you are. I'm just looking for a ruling." Like he's not this guy that's obsessed with, and it's sort of like DJ in the same sense, I guess. Is that these guys are just? It's not. They're not tiptoeing around. They know they're good. They know they love golf. They don't feel the need to prove to anyone that they love golf, but they they get it in their own way. It's the not feeling the need to have others like you or care that you do things a certain way. And I really respect that. So I'm happy for Brooks. He's definitely an underrated player on tour. This will boost him up, but... uh. Yeah, I mean, coming back from that crazy wrist injury he had last year and just just playing unbelievable golf the last three rounds. Uh, yeah, good for him. Congrats to Kepka. <sighs> nothing, nothing really bad to say. On the amateur side, uh, we saw Matt Parziali splitting the low AM honors. I won't spend too much time on this, but uh, I'm a guy that follows Barstool quite a bit. By quite a bit, I mean pretty much every day. I can't really get enough of it. But... Um, Barzali spent. He's a Boston firefighter, obviously, so uh, he's familiar with Barstool. He's done quite a few things with Barstool. He played with uh, the guys when they did the Mulligan Challenge about a month ago at Shinnecock. Um, he was on Barstool Radio during the week, and just just a really cool guy. Has a really good mindset with golf. You know, everyone's everyone thinks that, uh, and I mean, I talk about it all the time. Just the mental strength that it takes in golf. But as a guy, he was quoted this weekend something on the lines of, you know, when you're fighting, when you're a firefighter, and you're fighting 
<laughs> you're literally fighting fires. That is an unpredictable world. That's that's a stressful, anxiety-inducing activity, and you never know when uh, you're going to have backdraft or a door. Something's going to go crazy. But when you're on the golf course, as he said, he's in control of his own fate. Sure, there may have been a few things with the grass and whatever the case may be, but in general, he controls his own fate. And he, because of that sort of, he can see the difference in the two worlds. A lot of golfers that are, golf has just been their thing. They don't have that different perspective. So um, I think that really helped Matt this week with just staying in the moment, not getting, not letting the course or anything get too down on him. And good for him. That's a, that's a big honor to get low and something that he's going to remember for the rest of his life. And not only that, but he had his dad on his bag. So an amazing Father's Day present. And uh, good for Matt. The course setup on Saturday, I personally don't have a problem with it. Um, I do understand that guys, if guys are hitting good shots, they need to be rewarded for it. Um, there is something to be said for realizing, okay, the course is playing a certain way. I'm going to play really conservative. It seemed like guys were still trying to muscle their their will through the course instead of maybe just saying, you know what, I'm playing for 75 today, whatever. Um, I know it's not good, but there was a certain times watching a DJ where it was like, Kind of, he could kind of check himself a bit a little bit. He might have saved a few strokes, but at the same time, the course was playing very, very difficult. Uh, a lot of pros, a lot of pros, very upset with it. There were so many, but uh, the one that complains about everything every week is Ian Poulter, and he was probably the most outspoken. Um, so, Mike Davis came out and said on Saturday, "It got too tough today in some areas. If we got a mulligan, we would have slowed the greens down this afternoon." Confident we can slow the golf course down going into tomorrow. Not what you usually hear heading into a final round at the U.S. Open. Ian Poulter responds, Is that an apology? Just grow a set of balls and say we fucked it up again. You don't get mulligans in this business at this level. How can this team keep doing this without consequences? The next day, when they get these Sunday pairings and seeing where everything is, Sunday tee sheets, all that, he goes on again. Thanks, guys. Did Bozo set up the course? Or we, or... Are the USGA going to accept responsibility or just say, if we had a mulligan, I would have liked about six mulligans today, but they are not allowed at this level. Quote, apparently. Though the Englishman's rage did not end there. (laughs) Someone tweeted at him saying the obnoxious fans made it less fun to watch than the dodgy pins. He responded, verbal abuse on every hole does get a little old. That's not really golf either. Ryder Cup in 2024, which will be at Shinnecock, could become a little silly just like today was. Still, we never heard the word sorry. When I fuck up, I have to apologize. Not the USGA. Wonderful shot. Now stop. 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 This is the crowd banging for it to go off the green. You've got to be kidding. I'm going to get the wish. He played a beautiful bunker shot. Uh, what I have to say to you, Ian, just shut up, you bitch, and moan about everything. If you were to, like, own it that he likes to, that he, like, if there's a way to complain and, like, be funny and sarcastic and get your point across, he's just a little whiner that's had a silver spoon in his mouth and he just gets everything. Like, this is exactly why everyone hates Ian Poulter. We all know that you didn't like the course the way it was set up, but, uh, he's just, he's just Ian Poulter.
I guess that's that's the best way to sign it up. He's just Ian Poulter. He was like I said, he wasn't the only one that had comments, but he's the one that always every week has to say something. I also want to touch on Tommy Fleetwood. He had one of the most impressive runs I've ever seen in my entire life. That Sunday round, uh, 63. He wanted it to be 62, but uh, my God, he was making putts. He was stroking the ball. Everything, everything Tommy could do, he was doing. And uh, if not for that short missed putt on the 18th, he actually missed a couple makeable putts down, right down the stretch. Um, Would have been really cool to see him and Brooks in a playoff at plus one. But Fleetwood, that's a guy that you want on your radar for the Open Championship. I think he should be the favorite for the Open Championship. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But I just want to shout out Tommy Fleetwood because, I mean, the hair, the the accent, the cool hat with the rope, the Nike hat, um, seeing the way he was playing with his kid and all that, just handling his interviews. Seems like a really good guy. He's really started to jump down the scene uh, in the last few years. So good for Tommy Fleetwood. That was an amazing Sunday round, something we'll never forget. The missed cuts. A lot of people pointed to it being a bad tournament because of the guys that missed the cut. I don't see it that way. Um, you don't have your A game at a US Open, you shouldn't make the cut. And I'd rather see guys, quite frankly, this is an opinion I've recently taken up on Tiger Woods, but I've always sort of felt it about all the other top guys. I'd rather see them miss the cut than just make the cut, and then they're hogging the entire television coverage on Saturday and Sunday when they have absolutely no chance to win. Um, so sort of like uh, like if Phil would have missed the cut, that probably would have worked out better, right? Instead of having to see him all day Saturday and for the most of the part Sunday. Um, sort of that. But, yeah, guys that missed the cut, just off the top of my head, we got Jordan Spieth missed the cut, Rory McIlroy missed the cut, Tiger Woods missed the cut, Jason Day missed the cut, Matt Kuchar missed the cut, Sergio Garcia missed the cut, John Rahm missed the cut. There were so many top-notch guys that missed the cut, and a lot of them could not contain their anger. I'm thinking of John Rahm especially. Uh, Tiger, actually, of all the guys that missed the cut, I'm going to say Jordan and Tiger played the best of the guys that missed the cut. I actually think both of them, had they been putting even decently, they could have actually been in the hunt. Could have actually been in the hunt come Sunday because they were striking the, striking the ball decently, getting the ball relatively close to the hole, but neither of them could make any putts. So that was disappointing, but hey, it happens. Um, the days of Tiger being an automatic contender to majors are clearly over, but uh, hey, we got uh, two majors left this year, and anytime Tiger's going to be at Augusta, you have to think there's a chance. Uh, so even if we have to wait till next <laughs> next year in April to have another real shot at a major, that's the life we chose being Tiger Woods fans. Last couple things on the... The U.S. Open, the Fox broadcast, I don't have too much to say about it. I thought they did a good job. I think they're improving every year. Uh, the shot track is really cool. They did they did some cool features. Um, they ha- they still, I think, have to work out some of the kinks with their on-air talent. But I really, really like the addition of Shane Bacon. Um, he's, sort of, he's been with uh, Fox Sports and doing the USGA, a lot of more of the women's stuff. Um, younger guy, good-looking guy, um, knows the game, gives it in perspective. Uh, follow him on Twitter. He's really, really good. Just loves golf. Uh, has a good, like, humorous but serious enough mindset about the game. Um, sort of a guy that I wouldn't mind, you know, catering my career a little bit after. Uh, it was really good to see him on the telecast. Uh, other than that, I mean, you you always get interesting things from, uh, whether interesting in a good or bad way, from Faxon and Azinger and Curtis Strange and all those guys. Um, they're getting better, and I, I like the way that they had. I didn't have any major gripes about the telecast this year. I loved how 
streamable it was, how accessible it was if you weren't right in front of a TV. Um, I literally watched laying in bed all day Sunday because I was nursing an extreme hangover. And uh, I laid in bed on watching it on my phone all day through the US Open app. So, uh, or not through the US Open app, through my Rogers app. But still, uh, they had streaming on Thursday, really good streaming Thursday and Friday. They had really good TV coverage um, in terms of the hours. So good on Fox. Uh, obviously, people have their thing, have their say about Joe Buck, like him, hate him, whatever the case may be. But I think they did a good job this year. And finally, the future US Open sites. This gets me really excited because these courses, I mean, if you're if you're like me and you wanted them to you wanted to see some carnage this week and you got exactly what you wanted, I don't think we should be complaining that the course played too hard because we got exactly what we wanted. But that's pretty much what the next few US Opens look to have in store too. Next year, Pebble Beach. 2020, Winged Foot. 2021, Tory Pines. 2022, the Country Club of Brookline. 2023, LA North. Don't know what that is, to be honest. 2024, Pinehurst number two. 2025, Oakmont. 2026, back at Shinnecock. And then 2027, Pebble Beach. So those are some traditional U.S. Open courses. Going to be really, really cool to see how that shapes out. Um, next week, I'm going to be going to my first major, the 2018 KPMG Women's PGA. Uh, got a little taste of the LPGA a couple weeks ago. Absolutely loved it. Applied for a major uh, the Women's PGA Championship got the credential request approved, so I'm excited for that. It's uh, about an hour from Chicago in Kildare, Illinois, so if any of your listeners know anything about that area, give me a shout. Uh, I liked like some tips. I'm going to try and get some deep dish pizza. 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 going to go to Chicago one, at least one of the nights. Um, the Cubs are playing Friday at home at 4. That might be kind of tough to get to. But we'll see. You might just go to Wrigleyville, uh, have some drinks, see what. Check out Chicago. I've never been, but I've heard good things. Um, so that's what I'll be doing next week. I'm going to be leaving on Sunday, so I doubt I will have much in terms of PGA Tour coverage next week. But uh, I will definitely be all over the LPGA stuff, and uh, I'll have lots of content for you guys. So look out for that. This week on the PGA Tour, we have the Travelers Championship, which is at TPC River Highlands, and it is just the perfect event after. A major. It's in it's in the Connecticut area, so it's a nice area. Uh, fans love it there. Nice course, relatively short course, where we'll see lots of birdies. Yeah, it's it's should shape up to be a good week. Not only is it one of the shortest courses on tour, it's just six thousand eight hundred forty-one yards, but it's also one of the more enjoyable ones for players and fans alike. Uh, do you remember Jordan Spieth holding out from a bunker to win an event last year? He did the whole jumping, chest bump against caddy. Yeah, that was here. So, uh, it's also the course that Jim Furyk shot 58 at. It's also the course that Patrick Cantlay became the first amateur to shoot a 60 at. So, should be a fun tournament. The average winning score, I believe, is somewhere around 14 under the last five or so years. So, I'm going to give you five reasons. This is from a blog I wrote today, so check it out if you haven't, uh, Five reasons that you should tune in to the Travelers Championship. Number five is the Celebrity Pro-Am. I'm uh, not going to be on TV, but there, I'm sure there'll be lots of stuff kicking around social media from the week. Um, some of the names that are in this uh, this little event. Ray Allen, Chris Berman, Nick Bonino, Jim Calhoun, Boomer Esiason, George Lopez, Tim Wakefield. There's a ton of them. Um, I always love seeing how people from other walks of life fare 
Um, not just golfing, but golfing inside the ropes of like a professional event. Um, so that'll be really cool to see. I can only imagine the effect watching Chris Berman golf will have on some people. Uh, number four would be the course and course setup. Um, I looked up shortest courses on the PGA Tour. I was actually really surprised to see that Pebble Beach is, well, at least it was this year for the, uh, I'm, it'll be different from the U.S. Open next year. But in general, Pebble Beach only measures up to 6,818 yards, whereas this course, which I thought was really short, 6,841 yards. But um, a, lot of, a, lot of sh a lot of holes where you're not hitting driver off a tee. So that sort of changes the uh, the way you look at the distance. But, I mean, when you look at last week's gauntlet of a course, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of guys happy to just come here and kind of take it easy. Um, but, yeah, expect some birdies because it's going to be a bit of a birdie fest, especially compared to last week. Uh, the course configuration is 12 par 4s, 4 par 3s, 2 par 5s. The shortest par 3, 158-yard 11th hole. The longest, 223-yard 5th hole. Par 4s, shortest, 296-yard 15th hole. The longest, 481 yard fourth hole. Got two par fives. The shorter one, 523 yards, is the 13th hole. And the longer one is a 574 yard boost. That's the sixth hole. Uh, number three reason to watch this week the bounce back opportunities. 50, that's right, 50. Five zero players that teed up last week as Shinnecock kills. They're going to come here to TFC River Highlands looking for some sort of redemption. And especially the guys that missed the cut. They are going to be especially hungry. So I mentioned before about guys like Jordan Spieth, Ronnie McIlroy, and Jason Day. They're here this week. And according to the Hartford Current, Spieth and McIlroy have been spending a lot of time, a lot of time on the range working on a lot of things. So seeing some of these guys having some, a bounce back opportunity, that's something that'll be interesting to watch. Number two reason, the final stretch. It may not be ranked as the toughest final hole stretch in golf, but it's really, really, really entertaining. One of the most entertaining. From, you start at the short par 4 15th, 296-yard uh, par 4, with water left, sand right, anything from a 2 to a 6 is a distinct possibility when you stand on the tee. 16th is 171-yard par 3 over water. It's got a really narrow green with a lot of slope. Uh, bunkers on both sides, tough hole. 17 is a 420-yard par 4. All four of these final holes wrap around a 4-acre lake, which is pretty cool. But uh, 17 gets a lot of really big crowds. There is a tight tee shot, and then uh, the approach again goes... So your tee shot goes over the water, and your approach goes back over the water. So if there's any wind, uh, it's a small green, really tough approach. And then the number 18th, the final hole, 444-yard 440 yard par 4. It is a perfect finishing hole. It allows players to make a birdie if they play the hole well, but a lot more if they don't. Uh, 444 yards, as I mentioned. A good drive will leave you just a mid to short iron. Um, the green is usually surrounded by spectators, got a couple of bunkers, really cool finishing hole and finishing stretch. Definitely going to see some carnage on there, but also some birdies. Uh, yeah, it's going to come down to that. Someone could be up by two or down by two going into that stretch and they don't have a one. That's always cool. Uh, and the number one reason to watch this week's Travelers Championship, bottom line is the field is really, really good. And especially when you consider it's the week after a major, um, really, really good field. And not to throw the Canadian Open under the bus, but as a Canadian, we suffered from having an event after a major in the British Open, and we suffer in the terms of the field. So this is the way a field should look, and it's it's cool to see how many good players are turning out. Uh, Jordan Spieth, he's on site to defend his title after his crazy win last year. Brooks Kepka, obviously won last week. He's in the field. 
Justin Thomas, Patrick Reed, Rory McIlroy, Jason Day, uh, Daniel Berger, Paul Casey, Patrick Cantlay, Bryson DeChambeau, Jim Furyk, Adam Hadwin, Webb Simpson, Bubba Watson. I mean, you've got a hell of a field. You've got a hell of a course. I think 13 of the world's top 30. They're teeing it up at River Highlands. So, all in all, really, really good. Um, shaping up to be a good week. A um, little more casual, but I really like... Uh, I really like the way the PJ Tour has this, this setup, right? a fun course in a fun area uh, right after the hardest week of the year. So that's pretty much where I'm going to leave you for now. I will have my Wednesday pick picks blog. Um, as I mentioned, I posted a blog today, Reasons to Watch, this week. Uh, check that out. And uh, thanks for listening. You can always reach me on Twitter, email whatever the case may be, and I've uh, pretty much done a full revamp of the website, teeingoffblog.com. So if you haven't checked that out lately, uh, please do. Let me know if there's anything you think I should change or things that you like, whatever the case may be. Um, again, thanks for listening. I will be back with some sort of, I can't guarantee I'll have a podcast next week, but lots of blogs, lots of content because I will be back on site. Uh, my first major. So again, thank you for listening, and I will talk to you next week.